Welcome to the Alliant in the Public Eye podcast, a show dedicated to exploring risk management topics and challenges faced by today's public sector leaders. Here are your hosts, Carlene Patterson and Justin Swarbrick. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of In the Public Eye. Today, Carlene and I are going to focus on the property markets, mainly on weather and how it affects the market. As we are into 2021, it's it's becoming painfully evident that property insurers had another challenging year. One of the statistics that has come out is uh, Swiss Re is estimating that the industry is going to pay close to $85 billion in insured property losses, making it the fifth worst loss year ever for property insurers. Now, this is on the heels of 2018 being the third worst year ever and 2017 being the worst year ever for property insurers. Much of this is being driven by weather-related losses. So the question that we have and we want to try and answer today is, is the weather getting worse? Uh, With us is our guest, Andy Seifert, who studies weather as a meteorologist, and, and he's going to give us some further insight as to what is actually happening with the weather. One of the other uh, stats that came out of 2020 is we broke a record. We broke a record for having the most weather events that resulted in $1 billion in property damage or more. So is the weather getting worse? That's that's the question today. And uh, Andy, we appreciate you being with us and we look forward to our discussion. But um, before we get into the weather, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about your background and what you do? Well, first, uh, let me thank you, thank you for having me on your podcast here today. This is, uh, I'm very, as you'll you'll get to know me, I'm very passionate talking about the weather and its impacts the insurance industry. Um, but yeah, let me let me tell you a little bit about BMS. We have about 450 people globally, over 21 different offices, and really, we're an independent, innovative specialist and providing comprehensive solutions and advisory services to the insurance, reinsurance, wholesale, capital market industries. And as you alluded to, I'm a meteorologist. I've been actually in the insurance industry for about 18 years. And you're thinking, yeah, meteorologist in the insurance industry is not on TV, not the weather service. Really, it's very common for the insurance industry to employ meteorologists because I always like to say every insurance company is a weather company. One of their biggest spends is actually on the weather. Castries, as you alluded to, are a big deal in our industry. And I'm here um, at BMS Re, basically supporting insurance clients and adding value through catastrophe response, cat modeling, product development, scientific research, and really thought leadership, doing podcasts like we're uh, talking about here today, and really helping insurance companies understand the weather, and I, and I hope I'll educate the audience here today of what's kind of going on. So with that, that's kind of a little bit of background on, on myself. I alluded to this record-breaking year that we had with 22 events resulting in over a billion dollars or more in damage. It's, it certainly seems like to all of us that the weather is getting worse, but is it actually getting worse? Can you speak a little bit to that uh, for our audience today? Wow. Okay, how much time do we have for this podcast? I mean, <laughs> this is going to be a, a mouthful of words here, but I guess first, you know, I think we always got to put things in perspective first. And I just want to answer a few things about the comments you made earlier in terms of 
the weather is getting worse in terms of loss. So in reference to the NOAA report, in reference to your Swiss Re report, you know, first off, NOAA is a great agency. They contribute massively to saving lives and property. But I think we have to be careful when we look at losses and, and put things in historical context. You know, some of these loss studies that are done by NOAA or even Swiss Re, they'll go and adjust the losses for CPI or, you know, inflation. But what the industry, insurance industry should really know is it's really not sufficient. You know, I think you need to take a full look at the social economic issues that have gone on historically and what it continued to go on. It becomes a much more complex problem. I always like to use the case of a Miami hurricane. As you may know, if you've ever been to Miami lately, it's, it's a hotbed of growth. It's not the Miami of 1929. Now, there's considerable development going on in Miami. So let's say the last major historical hurricane, even in 1992, Hurricane Andrew, to hit Miami, Miami was a much different place than it is now uh, in 1992 versus it is now. So I mean, just that, that development. So you can take Hurricane Andrew's current loss and adjust it for CPI, but it doesn't account for what it, an event today might happen in the Miami area, just given all the development and new high rises, et cetera, that have been put in place since the last Cat 5 has hit the area. So Andy, you mentioned hurricanes. I believe in 2020, we set a record for the amount of hurricanes that we experienced. Are you saying that the hurricanes themselves are not getting more severe? It's that the property loss is increasing because of the increased development in some of those areas that, that we frequently see hurricanes like Miami, Louisiana, uh, sometimes in the Northeast? Yeah. One way to, to look at that is, is we, we were definitely uh, seeing more area like the development I just mentioned in Miami. When when you look at la this last hurricane season, it was, it was pretty spectacular. If you just want to touch on the trends of what's going on with the hurricanes uh, for a minute. I mean, we had 30 named storms in the Atlantic Basin. I mean, we all got very familiar with the Greek alphabet, which, I mean, basically I haven't done <laughs> since I was in high school fraternity class or in fraternity uh, role, but uh, ultimately, I mean, really what matters, as you alluded to, to the insurance industry is not necessarily how many storms are in the Atlantic Basin, but how many are actually making landfall. And I always like to point that out because that's actually very important to the insurance industry. We can have 30 named storms in the basin, but if only two make landfall or one makes landfall, like in 1992 with Hurricane Andrew, it's like pretty impactful. But this past year, we actually, we had 12 named storms make landfall. That's most ever since 1916. Wow. But when you, uh, when you look at the kind of the trends of landfalls, like just even take the past three years, it's been fairly active. Uh, 2019, I should say, is uh, we had five named storms. Um, you know, we had did potentially have a pretty big disaster, just 100, basically 120 miles east of the south coast of Florida with Hurricane Dorian. I mean, thankfully, it didn't stall over South Florida. Like, getting back to the whole Miami example, I mean, that would have been pretty disastrous. Um, right. 2018, we had five named storms, uh, Michael and Florence. And 2017, we had five named storms make landfall with Maria, Harvey, and Irma. But I think we need to also remember we went through a pretty long period between 2006 and 2017 with really very few um, named storm landfalls and very, you know, actually no major hurricanes making landfall for that 12-year period. And that, that actually was pretty unprecedented in our historical record. So to answer your question in terms of like, 
the trend of hurricanes making landfall, it's been pretty flat. We went through a very long period there where we actually didn't have any hurricanes really making landfall from 2006 to 2017, but we're kind of making up for that in the last three years and even in 2020 with the 12 main storm landfalls. And when you combine that with just think of the development that's occurred since 2006 to 2017 along the coast of the United States, and you all of a sudden you start getting more landfalls, of course you're going to uh, start getting larger losses uh, with right. the increase of value and other social economic factors that go along with just the cost of building materials, you know, is far outpacing even the inflation in 2020. If you, you know, if you went to the lumber store, wood is much more expensive than it really has ever been, um, or at least can quite some time. So that all these little factors add up when you start looking at the loss. That's why it's important, I always say, to not necessarily focus in on the insured loss, but what's actually going on in terms of the true weather yeah, so Andy, when it comes to the number of hurricanes, and I understand that over a longer period of time, we had a, a lot of years where we didn't have hurricanes hitting landfall, but since 17, so you've got four running years with a good number of them hitting, is there something in the weather patterns that is making this be a little bit more frequent, or is it still too early to tell since we really only have four years like that? Yeah, it's very tough to, to kind of tie any one particular year into a, a longer-term change in a particular weather pattern because, I mean, weather patterns basically change on a, a monthly or even weekly basis. And really, it, it, it only takes one storm, you know, in the right atmospheric conditions to kind of find an opening and track towards the U.S. Um, versus that high pressure were to stay in place and it would be kind of what we call a fish storm and head out to sea. So what we are seeing though, in terms of like the last three years, uh, it's been really warm sea surface temperatures in the Atlantic Ocean. And that's gonna contribute to more storms forming. And obviously when you have more storms forming, um, it's just the probability of, you know, we have that many more chances of a storm making landfall. It's not to say between 2000, in 2017, when we saw kind of a hurricane drought of landfalls, we didn't have warm sea surface temperatures. Just in that period, there was just different atmospheric conditions to prevent the storms from really making landfall. I mean, we, we saw storms make landfall during that period. We had Hurricane Ike, we had Hurricane Sandy, and actually Sandy is just one of these unique storms that kind of made a right hook straight into New Jersey, which was you know kind of unprecedented in itself in our historical record. You know, in terms of you know, this past year, you know, you might say that La Nina, which is a atmospheric phenomenon in the Central Pacific, could have created uh, conditions in the Atlantic Ocean to create more storms because it produced less wind shear. And you combine that with warmer sea surface temperatures, uh, that could have been the ingredients for why we saw more storms in the 2020 hurricane season. So, Andy, what about convective storms? It seems like those are getting more severe too. And and again, I, I understand the development and, and the increase in development causing the losses to be larger, but there just seems to be such uh, a focus on convective storm in the industry from underwriters that something's changed over the years. Is there anything new going on in the Midwest in terms of convective storms? Yeah. So when we look at severe convective storms, I mean, that should definitely be a a red flag for the insurance industry in the sense that even just last year, there was about $30 billion of U.S. insured loss over 40 different events. 
But what's interesting when I look at the data is there's a little bit actually of a disconnect in observations of this severe weather and the loss. So again, you know, alluding to the the trend and not to measure weather severity by looking at loss, but actually measure it by the, the weather peril itself. When we look at that severe weather, hail for the insurance industry is usually the driver. About 60% of our hail, average annual severe storm loss comes from hail, about 60%. When you actually look at hail observations, just the reports of hail, when hail fell and caused damage, and this is recorded by NOAA and the Storm Prediction Center, those observations are actually quite low. You know, we had about 4,000 reports of large hail, 4,600 uh, reports of large hail across the U.S. last year, and that's actually below average. That's actually the lowest it's ever it's been since 2005. So if hail didn't drive the losses, it, I mean, it probably drove some of the losses last year. Um, so then you say, okay, well, how about tornado? What are we looking at tornadoes? We had about 1,484 tornadoes in the U.S. last year. There were some big tornado losses. If you remember, like Nashville proved that a tornado can hit a metropolitan area. What's interesting, though, about the tornadoes, again, is, as I mentioned, there's 1,400 or so tornadoes, but the average actually is 1,300. So we were below normal on tornadoes. So it's, okay, yeah, we had Nashville, big tornado, but we still didn't have as many tornadoes, and, and that's just a matter of luck of them hitting a populated area to cause loss. So what's really driving the loss in 2000? It's actually the probably the wind events, and if you remember, we had a really large wind event come across the Midwest through Iowa, which is called a derecho, and that uh, that impacted quite a bit of property. I think there was about um, that event alone. I think just in Iowa is about a well, I think industry wise, it's about a six billion dollar event. And if you look at wind reports last year, we actually had quite a few reports of wind damage across the U.S. Now, what we actually saw last year which kind of gets back to the other point of this increase in of severe weather maybe hitting more populated areas. We actually saw more severe weather across the southeast United States. And if you look at a population map, there's more people, you know, across the southeast United States through Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, in that area, Florida. There's more severe weather in was recorded in those states than there was actually recorded in like parts of um, Denver and Colorado, Oklahoma. In fact, I just did a study yesterday for um, an insurance client in Denver where we were actually, they had basically no hail in Denver last year, and that's like unheard of. And in fact, you have to go all the way back to like 2000 to not have a true hail observation in the Denver metropolitan area. So it, it kind of comes down, honestly, to luck. There were a lot of places that were lucky last year and there were a lot of places that were unlucky and unfortunately the midwest like iowa and parts of the southeast were unlucky and that contributed to about 30 billion dollars of insured loss so is that what we should tell our clients you're just unlucky <laughs> well i mean severe weather is one of the i mean that is kind of the weather right i mean it, it is, does come down to luck you know, I mean, it's not necessarily even about weather. It's like, you know, natural catastrophes. And, you know, if you're in California, there's been a pretty lucky streak of no major earthquakes in that region, right? So that luck definitely plays um, a role here. I think for tornadoes specifically, yeah, I mean, it's amazing what a tornado can do and the damage it can do and how one property can be basically unharmed and the other one be wiped off its foundation. So 
And a lot of that is just micro vortices within the tornado and, and them hitting that property at the right, you know, the right angles and the, the different intensities at, at that moment in time and that path. But I think there's obviously areas in the U.S. that should experience severe weather. And, you know, Iowa was one of those areas that you're going to get severe thunderstorms that move across the state. Unfortunately, it was just one of the larger thunderstorms, you know, went basically through Des Moines and Cedar Rapids. It was quite intense. Some are calling it kind of an inland major hurricane. You know, these events happen every year. It's just unlucky that they actually hit a, a more urban area. But that's all built in these catastrophe risk models that we use to help us understand kind of the expected loss of a particular property. And, you know, for the most part, they fare fairly well, right? When you, you take any given year, my house, you know, like in the, here in Minnesota, where I'm at, you know, it was built in 1969 and still standing today, right? So like, you know, these return periods for major catastrophes are, are quite long. And so I think that's right. all factored in these catastrophe risk models that we use to help us understand risk. Yeah, we're we're going to do a, a separate podcast on modeling and how they perform and, and what they're used for in the industry. I imagine as you examine this, Andy, and, and your team examines it, is there anything we can do? I mean, is there really anything we can do to avoid these significant weather events, which in turn create increased property loss in the industry? Or is it really just about luck? And we're unfortunately in a bit of an unlucky few years here. Yeah, I think there's many different ways to, to mitigate loss. And I think one of the, the very first steps that any property or any municipality or any, any corporate entity can do is mitigate that loss by taking risk management resiliency steps. So uh, the first steps in really mitigating loss is to build resiliency. And whether it's corporate or government, need to focus a little bit more on investing into that risk management, resilience, sustainability, into their, you know, into that portfolio of, of risk that they're, they're managing. So regardless of whether the landscape of weather is changing, right, the winning solution here is to build better and manage better those properties by taking more resilient steps. And that's, that comes down to you know, in a particular building, what is the proper type of roof structure that could potentially be put on a particular building? Is it metal roof is going to last longer and be much more resilient to hail versus a asphalt shingle, but the asphalt shingle roof is going to be cheaper, right? So you get to weigh these benefits, but think longer term, and that's going to be the winning solution that would ultimately probably drive the risk tolerance down as well, right? Because you're building a building or when you redo a building, you're building it to a better standard than what's maybe expected in terms of how we built something in the past. So regardless of what, how the weather changes, whether it's getting more severe or not, you're building better and you're mitigating that risk by doing that. And that, that's how we should all be doing that, you know, whether it's personally or corporately or, you know, in our public entity side of things. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Well, we've got a, a few more minutes left, Andy. Is there any, closing comments or is there anything you wanted to share with the audience before we wrap up? I think, I guess it's really just about putting things in perspective. I think, again, don't get so focused in on the particular headlines that you might read um, because there's often a lot more detail that, that needs to be explained within those headlines. I'm a firm believer in doing your own research. You know, weather is a very topical topic and people like to use weather as an excuse, but uh, I think 
weather shouldn't be used as an excuse, and we should actually use weather to, as I said, build, you know, learn from and uh, build better societies as, as a result of what we learned from the past, but don't, uh, you know, build back to what we, we just had, build back better, and ultimately when that event happens next time, it's going to be less impactful because of that. And I think that's one of the biggest things we can learn from, from any natural catastrophe, and, and I'm not sure if we do that uh, enough. Well, we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your knowledge with us. We're going to have uh, more about the property market and what we are seeing, uh, not just from obviously a weather perspective, but but how the claims that we've seen over the past year are going to affect the market on a go-forward basis. We'll also be exploring some of the things that our clients can do with tools, and some of them Andy alluded to, but you know whether it's valuations or considering total cost of risk and you know, short-term gain for long-term pain, or let's do it the other way around. In the short term, something might cost more, but long-term, it's going to be the better solution. So we'll be diving into some of those topics in more detail with some of the future podcasts as well. Thank you, Andy. We appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, we recognize this is a challenging time in public entity risk management. And we hope that this information today and our future podcasts will help you as resources as we navigate 2021 and beyond. Hope you enjoyed this episode of In the Public Eye. And for more information and additional podcasts, please visit insurance.alliant.com forward slash in the public eye or www.alliant.com. 